Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew. I would like to give all my listeners who are vampire fans a heads up about a new body of knowledge that I have come across in the form of an online daily journal of a vampire named Satine. The thing to pay close attention to is the information she is revealing seems to be the real deal, and some of it has never been released in print anywhere. I know this because some of the information parallels the yet unreleased core knowledge of my Toltec shamanic lineage. Satine was born in the late 15th century on October 10, 1481, in London, England. She was one of the few that were fortunate enough to have been born into a very wealthy family, making life easier than most others around her, or so it seemed to the outside world. As she grew up, she began to realize that she was much different from most everyone around her. Sometimes, being a vampire is not a choice you have, but instead a life you were already destined to follow. The Vampire's Journal is a daily journal of Satine's life, how she became the way she is, the emotions and thoughts of an eternal being, the bloodlust of centuries past, her walk-in experiences, and the etheric manifestations of shape-shifting. In her own words, I quote her greeting to you. Welcome to the Vampire's Journal. I am Satine. I have created this site to provide you with a rare yet real insight into the life and existence of vampires. Take heed and pay close attention to what you find here, for I am disclosing real knowledge that has never been published anywhere in the world. The information and techniques that you are about to discover in these pages at the Vampire's Journal are the secrets that have existed since the beginning of time. The secrets of immortality and unimaginable power. To all who possess an unquenchable thirst for knowledge and power, and to all who want to live forever, I bid you welcome as I pull back the veil and allow entry into my world, the world of real vampires. Now, um, is Satine a fictional character? Are the secrets she is sharing in her daily journal entries a stuff of fiction? Or is this one of those very rare glimpses of an ancient body of knowledge known only to a select few? Go to the Vampire's Journal and decide for yourself. You can visit the Vampire's Journal by going to thevampiresjournal.com and see for yourself what is creating such a stir in both the world of the living as well as the world of the undead. 
You can also find a link on my page, www.theshamansbrew.com. I will be doing a series in the near future concerning vampires, and perhaps I can even get Satine to come on the show as a guest, so be sure to stay tuned for that. And now I'm going to play for you part three of our show on 2012 Prophecies and Earth Changes. If you missed part one and two, you can pick them up in the archives at uh, Jackalope Radio. Zahira, we'll start with you. Now, I know that last time we touched a little bit on um, the quatrains of Nostradamus, and you know there was some other information, too, that you were wanting to go ahead and you know share with us, and I was hoping we could kind of pick up where we left off. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Right. I was thinking before we get into some of the specific connections and prophecies in addition to Nostradamus, um, I thought it might be helpful just to lay maybe a brief foundation of why 2012 has become so interesting. And it might be helpful to kind of to pick up on and see some of these other connections that we might get into this evening. Absolutely. Um, great. I mean, we touched on some of the natural disasters and environmental concerns that are going on right now. And, and it's something, natural disasters have occurred since the beginning of time. Uh, we discussed, like I said, a few last time, but we've had epic floods, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions. You know, there's been asteroid hits, there's been plague, flu, famine, wars. We all think that we live in this time of an apocalypse simply, you know, based upon these disasters that we all witness. And I, I think our time, you know, we definitely have some notable events that, that raise eyebrows, definitely. But let's set the natural disasters aside for a moment and, and let's look at why December 21st, 2012 is different, uh, maybe unique. December, 20, December 21st, 2012, for those who don't know or didn't le- listen last time, it's that date is specific every year for what is called the winter solstice in the northern hemisphere and the summer solstice in the southern hemisphere. Either way, it happens on the same date. What's going to happen on December 21st, 2012, is this cosmic event that is rare and unique, and I think I'm kind of excited that we live in a time that we're going to experience this. And that is that morning, supposedly, you know, from our view on Earth, what we will see is we will see the sun rise in the center of our galaxy, the Milky Way, in the dead center, otherwise known as the dark rift or the supermassive black hole, which will look and also known as a super eclipse. So that's, that's a unique event, and this is something that we'll hopefully get to witness and should be able to witness uh, by the naked eyes, so I'm told. So that's this big cosmic event surrounding 2012. But in addition to that, what is unique? Well, we know the Earth rotates on its axis, but it wobbles. It wobbles a bit when it rotates. And this wobble changes our view of the constellations by one degree every 72 years. That's known as the precession of the equinoxes. However, our view will change a full 360 degrees every 26,000 years. So that also coincides with this event. And what's interesting is these ancient astrologers, like the Egyptians and the Mayans, they knew of this cosmic event, even though they lived, you know, well after the last time it had happened. 
So it's a so significance to this number, a real cosmic event. What else is significant about the number 12? Well, 12 is the number of completeness in astrology. That's reflected in 12 months in a year, 12 signs of the zodiac, 12 hours in a clock, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles of Jesus, 12 gods of Olympus. Depending on what you believe, 12 can be a significant number to various people. Sure. The, the Mayan long count calendar, which is this big deal, ends also at this time in 2012. So this is, you know, again, we're kind of piling on more things outside of these natural disasters. Why is 12 significant and this date significant? The Jewish calendar ends in its 7,000 year, which it, they just entered into. Uh, we have the Pyramids of Giza, which we didn't get a chance to get into last time. Um, but the Pyramids of Giza, they are, so this is what Egypt's famous for. We all know those three pyramids and where the Sphinx is. Those three pyramids are supposedly lined up directly in line with the three stars of Orion's belt. What's significant about that is that when it lines up, that is the exact midpoint in time to the next 26,000 uh, solar eclipse that we're going to see, this massive super eclipse that's going to happen on 2012. Very so is that coincidence? You know, yeah, it, it, it's just very, very intriguing, you know, the fact that all of these things are coming together, you know, synchronistically. Absolutely. And this is also what's known as convergence in this Nostradamus effect. So although it's given the title of Nostradamus, Nostradamus effect, it's based on this conversion and synchronicity of all these different things happening around this, this cosmic event in this time clock. So you know, it could be coincidence that the Egyptians lined their their pyramids up that way, but it seems like they probably understood because they had a good eye grip, much like the Mayans, on um, the astronomy mm-hmm. of the Earth. <clears throat> so we also have the Sun-Palladi-Zenith conjunction that we talked briefly about last time that happens over the Pyramid of Kukulkan. And that is also uh, significant in that... Um, there's an event that occurs over the pyramid. Kukulkan or Quetzalcoatl was a symbol for the sun Pleiades zenith conjunction. And exactly 60 days after the spring equinox on May 20th, the zenith passage of the sun takes place over Chichen Itza. This moving snake on the pyramid is this annual reminder of this conjunction. But this is an event that only occurs during a 72-year time window from 1976 to 2048. But right at the center of that time window is 2012, when this great cycle ends. On May 20th, 2012, the Zenith Passage will combine with the solar eclipse. And that's, there's going to be three eclipses in 2012, that being one of them. We have another total eclipse of the sun, and then we have our 2012, our December solstice eclipse, which is the big mother eclipse. <laughs> Well, it's really so take, interesting. Yeah, it, it, n- not to cut you off there, it's, it's interesting no, no, go ahead. With, with the ecliptic patterns because, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, I know a lot of astrologers will even follow uh, eclipses, especially when it comes to the aspect of natural disasters, you know, looking at the shadow path of the eclipse itself, uh, you know, and how different um, disasters or, you know, different natural uh, things will occur, such as tsunamis or earthquakes or things like that. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. And, and that's just it. I mean, you take, there's so many connections out there um, in addition to prophecies, Nostradamus. And interestingly enough, I just found out that Da Vinci had some prophecies called the Da Vinci Riddles, which I had never heard of before. And then also he has this uh, these deluge, um, deluge drawings that predict, they're saying, that are his take on the end of the world, although a date's not given. It, it's about great floods and the elements causing natural disasters, and it, it eventually ends in a great flood. Da Vinci was before Nostradamus. And it's interesting that we never hear of those things. But the riddles are somewhat similar to Nostradamus's prophecies and that they're, you know, fraught with famine and plague and um, death and destruction, great floods mm-hmm. and solar flares. And, and uh, that's something new that I just recently heard about and started to look into, although I'm still, I don't know a lot about that yet, but it's interesting. Uh, but that's one of the things surrounding 2012. I think that aside from all these natural disasters where, you know, we all say, oh, we live in the time of apocalypse, this is unique. This is different, a different time. And whether that means it's the end of the world or whether it's just a new beginning, a new cycle, something great or a great cleansing, a transcendence into um, something more better, something better, I guess mm-hmm. we'll, we'll wait to see. And then it just depends on whatever you believe from there. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Marcus, what is your take on that, too? Because when I know that you've really, uh, you know, you've studied astronomy for many years and, you know, looking at uh, also at different types of things concerning natural disasters and, you know, being able to connect all of these together. uh, You know, what is your take on that? Well, excuse me, the, um, you know, what uh, Zahira said about the mother of all eclipses, that, that is true. I mean, that uh, that eclipse of the sun, it's actually an eclipse of the uh, center of the galaxy where where there's a massive black hole. And uh, that's only been discovered recently, but uh, somehow the Mayans knew about it. But uh, that eclipse only happens once every 33 million years. And so man, at least the man that we know, the mankind that we know, has never been here during that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a cycle that uh, where we travel up and down, and where you know when we when the sun actually eclipses the center is the event that only happens once every 33 approximately million years, and so we don't know what's going to happen. Um, based you know on my shamanic uh, studies and teachings, uh, there is a little bit in the Toltec uh, tradition. There there's a little bit of uh, information about it, but they they don't go into the great details that, that the lions did. Um, there's a process. I, I don't remember if we touched on this in the last show or not, but there's there's a process in um, the shamanic principles and the core teachings that's called. Yeah, they refer to it as stopping the world, but basically what they're what you do when you stop the world is you drop the illusions of everything around you. Uh, you know, what we see really isn't the way things are. Everything is energetic, but we perceive them because we were taught that way from you know, childhood. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the goals of a, of a shaman is to see beyond these illusions. And the um, the the illusion that everything is appears the way it is 
is actually inside our brains. It's, it doesn't really appear that way if we were to perceive it the correct way. What a shaman tries to do is to basically reset, or like when you reboot a computer, you you reboot your perception. And once that happens, it's it's like the your energy system in your brain takes over, and it allows you to see just for a split second. It allows you to see. Uh, energy and see the world as it really is. You can see into other dimensions. And once that happens, you have the ability to uh, retain you know, what, what it feels like. Once you know what something feels like, you can usually uh, uh, replicate it. It's mm-hmm. like you know swinging a tennis racket. Once you've done it a few times, you know how to hit the ball. You can do it again without even thinking about it. Your body actually remembers. And it's the same thing with this. Now, the way this connects with the uh, the eclipse on December 21st, 2012, is that for just for a moment, uh, two things are going to happen. We're going to pass through the uh, galactic plane, which is a very thin, paper-thin uh, magnetic field of enormous power. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know what it's going to do. You know, scientists, yes, scientists today about any of these things, they're getting to the point now where they go, you know, we don't know, it's anybody's guess. Because they really don't know how to analyze a lot of this information because uh, there's no reference points. But we're going to pass through that uh, that magnetic uh, equator from the, the black hole at the center. And at the same time, the sun is going to block the center of uh, the uh, uh, galactic uh, center you know, the black hole at the center, it'll be blocked completely by the sun. This is the first time this has happened in the history of human time. And, uh, you know, that we know of, unless there were humans beyond 33 million years ago. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so they don't know what's going to happen. But what, you know, my theory is, and, you know, my teacher and his teacher before him, although they didn't get into a lot of the technical aspects, they talked about an event taking place at this time that would reboot, essentially reboot the, uh, the human awareness. And when that happens, um, again, we don't know what's going to happen, but what I think is that it's going to drop our perceptions just for a moment, long enough so that people will panic you know, when they, you know, they don't know, they won't know which way is up or down. Um, it's, it's like, Everything that you've been taught about the world suddenly will disappear. A lot of people mm-hmm. will think they died, but it's only for a short time. There's only you know nobody knows for sure how long, but it's only I would imagine uh, minutes when this happens. And it may not happen to all people the same way either. But what it's going to do is reboot it, and so that it will give everyone a glimpse of what a lot of psychics see. You know the people that can truly you know see you know beyond dimensions. And once you reboot your system, you change uh, energetically uh, the way you perceive things. Now that's, you know, from a shamanic point of view, that's what uh, might happen. That's that's you know just a, a theory. No one knows this for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that's what these energies might do. Uh, as far as what they will do to the planet. I, I really don't think that that's going to be any threat to the environment or to the planet at all. Uh, I don't think this is the end of the world that's coming up. I think it's there are changes taking place 
but they don't necessarily have anything to do directly uh, with the uh, you know December 21st, 2012. That's just like a uh, a reset point or a point of reference. Um, there is a lot of things happening now. In fact, you know, scientists are discovering uh, almost daily now new things that they didn't know before, and that's why they're getting a lot of them are getting to the point where you know they're just kind of throwing their hands up and saying, "I don't know what's going to happen." Yeah. Um, you know, recently there's been discovered uh, the possibility of magnetic portals connecting the Earth and the Sun, and a few years back, scientists you know, were aware of the uh, hypotheses of such you know, a, a physical event, but they didn't believe it was possible. If you ask nine out of ten of them, they'd say, no, it's not possible. But now, just from recent uh, information that's come up, they're thinking, well, maybe it is possible. And they're rethinking a lot of things. So they, they're, it's like the book is being written for them you know, as we go. And uh, what a magnetic uh, portal is, it's they're, they're called magnetic flux tubes, and it's where a portal, you know, almost like a, you see a tornado in the sky touching the ground. That's that's a, a vortex, a portal from connecting the sky and the ground. These are magnetic portals that directly connect the sun to the earth, and it's it's like a giant uh, cyclone uh, or like a, a wormhole that goes from uh, the sun, you know, to the earth, and when those, if if one of those is established, uh, it's called a uh, flux transfer event, and it's they don't know what will happen, but I don't think it will be good because what happens is all that huge amounts of energy travel through that portal, which go right through our magnetosphere, and they go right into the earth itself, and so you've got enormous amounts of uh, energy in the form of uh, charged particles, you know, hitting the Earth through this uh, this magnetic uh, tube. Mm-hmm. And they don't, you know, they don't say that it's going to happen. They're just saying, well, maybe it's possible. And the way the sun's been acting, you know, even though it's, it's actually quieting down right now, and that's not necessarily a good thing either. Um, I think a lot of the danger that's, that's coming up, you know, the Earth changes, I think a lot of it's going to come from the sun. I don't think we're going to have an asteroid impact or anything like that. Um, the the energy that we're constantly, you know, getting from the sun, the uh, solar flares, the mass uh, coronal ejections, you know, the mm-hmm. big explosions on the sun that shoot all the particles at us, it's being deflected by our magnetic field, but that field is weakening. And as it weakens, more and more it gets through. And what happens when that energy gets through, besides giving off the, you know, the northern lights and all that, giving off the light show, what happens is the energy goes into the core of the planet. It penetrates the ground and it, it starts to uh, heat up the uh, the core. Now they've also recently found out um, that the core of our planet, we have an inner core and an outer core. And uh, the inner core is, oh, I think it's it's almost as wide as the moon. But uh, 
the inner core is molten iron, and it's it's melting. It's you know it's it's molten, but it's actually melting more. It's like it's heating up, and it's spinning inside the uh, the outer core, which is you know sits inside the mantle of the Earth. And yeah. The mantle, you know, sitting on top of the mantle sits our crust. That's where we are. But that's what gives us our magnetic field is this inner core spinning faster than the outer core that sits inside the mantle. But as it as it uh, heats up, it's changing and it's putting pressure on the outer core, which is putting pressure on the mantle, which will trigger earthquakes and volcanic activity. And you know this this is one of the things they've they've discovered recently is that this is happening right now. Uh, one thing, like in our area, for example, in the Northwest, mm-hmm. what we have to watch out for is uh, earthquake and volcanic activity. That's our biggest danger. And yeah. Yellowstone is always, you know, even though it's not as big a danger at this moment as it was in the past, it's still, I, I don't think Yellowstone will blow. If Yellowstone blows uh, because it's a super volcano, if it blows, everything within, uh, uh, I think it's like, I think it's like 100 miles, everything within 100 miles is the kill zone, the immediate kill zone. Uh, if it has a major eruption like it's done in the past, uh, 80,000 people will die instantly. Mm-hmm. And then the outer zone where things start dying is 600 miles, which we're within 500 miles of. But for the world, you know, the thing that might that might save us if that happens is that uh, the winds are normally blowing to the east and we're west of it. But um, the problem with the world is, um, you know, with the rest of the world, is the amount of ash that would be given off would uh, would circle the planet and it would create uh, basically uh, a mini ice age. Uh, what would happen in Europe and places like that, England and, and Northwest here, uh, there would always be snow on the ground year-round. You know, it's it's not going to be like glaciers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But the temperature will drop about 12 degrees, you know, on an average, and that is major, you know, in the climate. And so it, it would kill crops, you know, food would disappear on the planet. You know, it, it would be a big problem if it erupts. I don't yeah. think it's going to erupt in our lifetime. But uh, there are other things happening because of the uh, the solar activity that's uh, creating problems on the inner core. There are things happening in the northwest, in fact, all the way down the Cascades. Uh, there are uh, events that, that geologists are, are beginning to worry about that can be triggered by the excessive pressure that uh, is exerted by the the outer core, you know, from as a result of the inner core being heated up. Mm-hmm. Um, these go in cycles, actually, though. This isn't something new. This this is something that goes in regular cycles. They're just very long cycles. Um, it's, you know, the, for example, the uh, Cascadia subduction zone is an area that if it breaks from all this pressure, it will create an earthquake in the Seattle area uh, 9.0 or greater. And there's evidence that that may happen soon. Now, when that 
that big of an earthquake will also trigger at least two volcanoes. And, uh, you know, there's like 24 volcanoes that potentially could go off all the way from uh, there in Seattle, Mount Rainier. Uh, there's Mount Baker, uh, Mount Shasta, Mount St. Helens. You know, there, there's several of them that can, they can go off if that earthquake happens. And so these are some of the things that scientists are looking at right now. Uh, and, and they're saying, yeah, there's a real possibility of this happening because they're seeing things happen that they've never seen before. And it's all result coming from beyond the planet. It's coming mm-hmm. from the sun and something that's recently been released. Uh, this discovered a little while ago, but it's been kept quiet. Uh, there is a intergalactic uh, or an inter interstellar cloud of uh, highly magnetic particles that our solar system is running into right now. Uh, we've discovered this, you know, as a result of the Voyager spacecrafts, the ones that went to Mars and Saturn, mm-hmm. uh, Jupiter and Saturn, the outer planets. Uh, that's recently been discovered just out the outer edges of our solar system, and it's not, you know, those gases are gases of uh, hydrogen and helium, and they're at about 6,000 degrees centigrade. And the gases should disperse, but they're not. They're just a cloud that's sticking together. And the reason they're sticking together is uh, NASA's recently discovered that they're they're highly magnetic. And uh, all, you know, the way the atoms are arranged uh, creates a very strong magnetic field that is bumping into our heliosphere, which is a a big bubble of uh, of solar wind charged particles and energy that the sun gives off. You know, it's creating mm-hmm. like a wind in the solar system, and it it goes out uh, several billion kilometers, and it's it's running into this intergalactic cloud. But what that is, it's you know the, the intergalactic current. Intergalactic. I'm sorry, it's interstellar cloud. Um, that cloud was created, by the way, by some supernova stars that exploded uh, about 10 million years ago. But that uh, intergal- or interstellar cloud is compressing our heliosphere, our actual environment, our atmosphere mm-hmm. of our solar system. And by compressing it, it's causing everything to heat up. Uh, a few years back, uh, I remember listening to uh, Richard Hoagland on Coast to Coast, and he was talking about how the different planets are heating up. You know, they're, cause you, as we measure the, the temperatures of the planets, we're finding that they're heating up. And there's no you know, explanation for it, and that includes the Earth. And, you know, they, they you know with the Earth, they think it's the greenhouse effect and, and different, uh, you know, economic disasters that are heating it up, but all the planets are heating up. It's not just ours. Yeah, and well, this, this is, is interesting information that, that you know, really is not readily available to many people. And, you know, so it's just, it's it's quite an interesting thing. Um, let me ask you this. Now, when it comes to the magnetically charged particles, um, uh-huh. you know, and of course, you know, we're seeing that right on the fringe there, uh, what would be the effect if it were to enter into um, our solar system, what would be the effect on all of our planets, do you, do you think? 
if well, I don't think it's possible to actually enter it. It more compresses it than anything else. But mm -hmm. if if a magnetic cloud, you see this this brings up another thing why astronomers are just kind of you know throwing their hands up in the air because they don't know what they thought they knew. And uh, if there's one cloud out there like this, and we know there's several clouds around us, if there's one that's highly magnetized, then there's going to be more of them. Uh, you know, it's likely to be others, even more powerful than the one we're running into now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's because it's it's so many billions of miles away from Earth. You know, its effect magnetically doesn't really you know affect us that much, but it does you know have a an exertion on everything. It's it's like putting us in a pressure cooker, and when you have uh, you know this this solar radiation. Wind that creates our heliosphere normally dissipates off beyond planets, and it just you know goes off. And all of a sudden, you know, you take a, you got an electric heater running, for example, and you have all the doors open on a room. It's it's not going to overheat the room, but if all of a sudden you shut those doors down, the room's going to get hotter and hotter and hotter because there's no places that cosmic radiation to go. And and this is what you're seeing happen right now, and uh, it's one of the reasons why it's affecting, you know, our, our mantle, uh, you know, the inner core. As yeah. far as affecting us individually, I don't think that, uh, at least, you know, I haven't heard, I can only go by what I what I hear from JPL or from NASA, and, uh, and this information was actually leaked out, it wasn't supposed to go out yet, but... Uh, you know, I don't know if it will affect this on a personal level, you know, as a biological unit. There are other things that, that could very well affect this magnetically because we were electrical creatures and electrical and, mag and magnetic energy you know, interact with each other. Mm -hmm. um, even you know, the different uh, parts of our nervous system they have manganite, in the, you know, which is magnetic, and they have uh, we have a lot of magnetic materials in our body. Well, that's what and I find really interesting that, that you're talking about this. And Zahir, I want to bring you into this conversation here in just a moment. Um, what what I find really interesting about this is I I think we actually talked about this last time as well on uh, the first broadcast we did about uh, together the three of us uh, last month. Um, but I'm finding it really interesting is that when I go to do a session for someone or connect for someone, and of course, you know, energetically I'm I'm attaching to them so I can remote view what's going on in their energy field. Um, I'm finding that the way I can read is quite uh, quite new, I should say. Uh, it's it's evolved in in a different format. But I'm finding a lot of people are almost depleted in a sense. Um, with minerals, and I'm finding that that their bodies are are absorbing minerals at such a high rate. They can't have, you know, they can't maintain enough mineral absorption in the body. Therefore, it throws off the electromagnetic current uh, to keep things balanced within their body. I'm seeing so many people that don't have the same ability to ground themselves or stay centered. And even today, there was a woman that I spoke to who, uh, just looking at her and mentally, emotionally, she was very centered. Energetically, her vibration. And I don't know if it was the vibration, but it was as if she was transparent, as if there was actually more space in between her molec the molecular structure of her cells 
her, her cellular tissue. It was very interesting. I haven't seen anything like that before. And it was like physically I'm looking at her, but energetically it's like she wasn't even there. Uh, so it's just it's it's a really interesting thing. Um, yeah, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, just to kind of look at the the magnetic aspect, the magnetic component. But I'm finding that more and more people are needing, uh, you know, different minerals in their body to stay grounded electromagnetically, uh, vibrationally. Yeah, that's uh, the different minerals we have in our body are very important. Uh, you know, it's the basis of the biological uh, unit. Uh, the different functions of the nerves, and you know, we're we're still learning what all this does. Uh, there, you know, DNA is still a big mystery. There is a substance called, uh, uh, more commonly referred to as uh, junk DNA, and you know, it's broken strands. Uh, it's things that aren't used in our in our uh, current you know physical bodies. And there's a lot of it. It's not like there's a little bit of it, but there's a huge percentage of our DNA is useless. And it goes back to, you know, if you start talking about evolution, it goes back far into our past. And that's why a lot of doctors and scientists think that it's just no longer useful and we're just carrying it along. You know, we we can't get rid of it. It's like luggage. And uh, so they... They call it junk DNA, but what they're finding is that junk DNA all of a sudden becomes active. And it can be stuff that goes back, uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last show, but there's there's a, a certain type of uh, DNA like that, uh, it's, you know, non-activated DNA, that goes back in the human uh, genome. Oh, I, I can't remember how far now, but it's like 100,000 plus years that it goes back in our evolution. And it has been active to people. But if you have that, oh, not every human has it, but if you are part of that uh, a genetic uh, line that carries this particular uh, DNA uh, you know, structure, even though it's not activated, it's, it's, it's alive, but it's not connected to anything. It's the best way to think of it. And... Uh, if you have it, then you have a chance of developing, of it awakening. But it's a bad one. If, uh, it's been nicknamed zombie DNA. And if it uh, activates, it, it you know this DNA takes over different functions of your body, so you have no control over it. Uh, it causes a lot of paralysis. It causes numbness. It causes your face to contort. And... Yeah, of course they no superhuman qualities? Yeah, that that could be true. <laughs> well, there's this new show on superhumans. I don't know if you've seen it. I actually happened to catch a couple episodes, and, and that just yeah, came to my mind when you said that, that uh, maybe that's the explanation for some of these, quote, superhumans. It could be. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, in fact, I think I did see one episode of that, and it was about some guy that uh, he, he said he was magnetic where everything stuck to him. You know, all metal stuck to him, and you know they. I think they found out that he, he wasn't actually magnetic. It was something about his skin. Uh, genetically, you know, he he was you know, maybe some of that uh, the junk DNA that activated. So you could be right. And uh, so far, it's it produces oddities or unpleasant things. It'd be nice to produce human strength or something. 
that, I'd like to be behind be. him when he goes through airport security and that those imagine meters. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He has all kinds of problems. They, they found out his skin, the skin doesn't have the same kind of pores or something. So it's like creating a vacuum. It's like if you lick something, it's a piece of glass. But energy. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I'm yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Would you consider this to be actually, let's say, you know, we're looking at more and more people that are becoming um extraordinarily telekinetic. Would do you think this would be uh, a portion of this, you know, that's already starting to manifest? Uh yeah, it it very well could be because we are changing energetically. And, you know, as as uh, each generation is born and it seems to be more and more and I suspect I don't have anything to back this up but I suspect it has something to do with the energy fields that we're we're being exposed to not just on the physical world energies but on you know etheric energies which you know you can't speak of them scientifically because you can't measure them scientifically but mm-hmm. it's a, it's a type of stuff that we're we're dealing with interdimensional uh uh, energies, uh, you know, the the thing we call chi, life force. You know, you can't mm-hmm. measure that. I mean, you can measure the effects of it, but you can't measure life force energy. But we, you know, we know it's real because we're all alive. Um, this is the type of energy that is connected with telekinetic abilities. Uh, it's it's more of a. Pre- I don't want to really say because I don't believe it's a projection of energy from the individual person. You know, when mm-hmm. you when somebody moves something by thought, like my friend Gary Geller, when yeah, yeah. when he moves something by thought or bends metal, uh, it's it's not like energy is coming out of him. You know, he was tested at Stanford under extensive scientific you know, conditions, and they they never detected anything coming out of him, but he could still move things. And I think it's more, uh, I guess, the simplest way to put it, when you move something at a distance, it's more like an agreement. Uh, it's you know, almost an amalgamation of your energy with the energy of that object. And so you're not, it's not like you're putting a tractor beam out like on Star Trek where you pick something up and move it or pull it to you. Uh, you're manipulating subtle energies. So it doesn't really take enormous amounts of human energy, but mm-hmm. uh, you're manipulating energies and changing the way they interact. And so when you move a glass of water, for example, make it float and fly across the room, you're not really exerting the force from your body on that glass of water, making it you know fly like that. You're changing the way that it interacts with the gravitational flows, and just by you know, even though we don't think about it, it's like when we swing a baseball bat or a golf club, we don't think about all the physics involved with it. We just do it. And it's the mm-hmm. same way with people who are telekinetic. They just kind of feel it. And after they've done it a few times, they know how to do it. Uh, they change the right angle. Uh, you know, for the energy flows, they change uh, the angles where it affects it, you know, where it's being pulled down, and then it causes it to fly, you know, another direction. That's another simplified explanation of it uh, but it's and so it's it's not really uh, a power ability that people are developing it's the ability to interact with other energy fields you interact with you know a rock 
flies through the air. You don't actually pick it up and throw it with your energy. And, you know, to answer your question, uh, people are changing. We're, we're seeing more and more, and I'm sure you're seeing, you're seeing more and more people who have psychic abilities that are being born. Uh, they've dealt a lot of them, indigo children or you know, star seeds, different things like that. But I think it's, uh, you know, and Zahara, you could be right. It's, you know, you mentioned that uh, that show. This could be junk DNA that's being activated, and it's it's reconnecting us. Uh, shamans learn how to do a lot of that. You know, I'm a depth shaman. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do, but it is a process that can be learned, too. Uh, some people do it better than others, no matter how much you practice it. But some people seem to have the ability from birth. And it's not just telekinetic abilities. It's telepathic, uh, clairvoyant. Uh, it's you know being able to communicate uh, through dimensional uh, boundaries. These things seem to be awakening in the human race. And uh, you don't necessarily have to be born with it to have it awakened. That's the thing with uh, uh, you know, junk DNA. It could be activated at any time. Uh, people that have the zombie DNA uh, are, you know, they can be adults, and all of a sudden it activates. And scientists don't know why it activates. There's something that's activating it. Luckily, it's very, very rare. And uh, it's very, very rare even to be in that lineage that carries that uh, that particular one. So that's, that's really not a pleasant thing. Um, you know, it's, it has symptoms similar to uh, MS and other you know, diseases like that. But it's, it's, it's wild seems to you take, take over. Yeah, it's it's wild that you mention um, the junk DNA uh, and kind of like that that zombie aspect. I've had nightmares of zombies ever since I was really young. But um, <laughs> it, it's it's an interesting thing because a lot of the things that happen in these dreams, though, end up actually taking place in in real life. And the last zombie dream I had, um, I was actually in a Walmart parking lot and I saw just hordes <laughs> of people that were zombified. But I remember seeing all these signs. Um, along, you know, the highways, all these people where they're like, all here are dead, all here are sick, you know, and I remember just this panic, you know, where it was something that had taken over the population. Um, Zahira, I wanted to ask you this, too, and, and you know, as we're talking about all of these things that are happening to the human race, and, and I want to go back a little bit to the, you know, the information that you provided earlier, all of these different cultures, uh, all of these things that have happened kind of simultaneously where, you know, we're we're moving towards this convergence point. Um, do you relate any of this material uh, that you have researched kind of with what we're talking about tonight in a sense? Do you believe that some of these cultures have actually been aware of this all along um, or is this something, you know, new to humanity? Uh, what exactly were they aware of? As far as, you know, all of these changes that are happening, uh, you know, within uh, the structure of people, you know, physically, physiologically, uh, the things that are happening within our culture, our society. Um, and, of course, I know, you know, when we're talking about the the natural aspect, you know, with, with say, the earthquakes and things like that, but on a people level, um, you know, with, with what's happening to us, I was just curious if that's something that, you know, could be linked 
um, you know, to these cultures. Because like you were talking about with Da Vinci, how, right. you know, there's there's things that he had brought forth that, of course, predated Nostradamus. And I'm curious because, you know, as we're looking at all of these things as a collective, it's kind of like, you know, we're all saying the same thing, just in a different way. Yes, yes. There, that's just it. I mean, throughout time, I mean, all of these cultures, ancient and some not so ancient, you know, many of them have like these flood myths and where the gods are not happy any longer with humans. You know, they come down, they wipe them off, but they save one so that they can cleanse the earth and they can cleanse people and they can start anew. Um, we talked about the Hopi uh prophecies and, and some of their beliefs last time where they have this prophecy rock and they show that there are two ways that, that human culture can decide how to move forward in the face of maybe some trials and some things coming that uh, uh, we're not used to seeing or um, actual disasters. And you decide, you know, which path you want to take, the, the high road or the low road, for lack of, you know, a better term. Uh, Nostradamus, I think we briefly touched on this last time as well, where he has these series of seven drawings, and at the very end, you know, he's holding up this book of life, and it's blank, and he's saying, okay, people, you know, this is up to you. You make your choices and your decisions on how we're going to move forward, and uh, yes, you know, so it really does go beyond all these, this flood and, and uh, death and destruction, and it's really coming down to how are we going to move forward? Are we going to, you know, you write your history. You make the choice. We can move through this gracefully, or you can, you know, you are not open to change, open maybe to new ways of thinking. Um, I'm hoping your zombie dream isn't a prophecy. <laughs> Well, that's why it just really connects the fact that, you know, I mean, how is that possible? That, But it, it's just wild, yeah, all of these things in the uh, the fringe of the dream, uh, just these little nuances, these details all ended up manifesting. And it's like there's all these deja vu moments except for, the, except for what would seem so ridiculous. But as in our language even tonight, it just it completely clicks for me. Um, and similar, Marcus, if you even remember uh, that dream I keep referring back to, uh, you know, that I had a couple years ago in December, that was where, remember I was telling you that, that it was like um, something magnetic had happened. It was like the gravity had been let loose from the earth. Yeah. It's like people didn't float off the earth, but the gravity had changed, um, and it was almost as though stones and, like, meteors were just floating in our own, uh, you know, atmosphere. And I remember knowing that I was only safe as long as I stayed inside something metal, inside something, you know, and I think I was, like, yeah. in an RV or a shed yeah, or something that, like that. that. That was, you know, a very intriguing dream because it has different points. Uh, one of the things that's that's happening that's recently been discovered, too, there's been, since our last show, there's been a lot of new things come out. Uh one thing that's been discovered is that you know, we, we know that our Earth's magnetic field has been weakening. You know, that's that's been known for a while. But it's been recently discovered that it's uh weakening much faster than what we thought was possible. Uh there's a certain uh, uh magnetic uh 
was not magnetic. It's a, it's a certain volcanic area that, uh, in fact, was, uh, here it knows about this, a certain volcanic area in uh, southern Nevada that uh, geologists have recently discovered uh, contains magnetic trace particles in, in all the rocks there because lava flows are, are highly magnetic and in around lavas uh, there are volcanoes. But they've recently discovered that this uh, magnetic particles in the lava flow, by studying those, that we had a reversal you know, at one time in the past, that was mm -hmm. several hundred thousand years ago, we had an actual reversal of the Earth's magnetic field. But they thought that this is something that happened over thousands of years. Now they're thinking that it can happen over just four years. And it's it, the result is from studying these, these magnetic particles in the rocks, where they actually watched it happen, you know, geologically, you know, it recorded in the rocks. Uh, they watched it happen in a period of four years, and that was never thought possible before. But what what we're seeing now is our magnetic field is dropping, and it's gonna, you know. As it, as it drops, our defenses from the uh, solar flare and everything, you know, that drops too. It's like having shields on a, you know, a starship or something where they're mm -hmm. blasting you and nothing's getting through. It's like those shields dropping as our magnetic uh, strength drops. But when if the magnetic poles do shift, they they are moving. But if it shifts completely, or it swaps over like it did there, you know, a few hundred thousand years back. If that happens for a moment, there won't be any magnetism. You know, we will be a planet totally un, you know, unprotected, and for the first time in our lifetime, we won't have a magnetic field around us, around our physical bodies, and nobody knows what that's going to do. Because well, that actually interferes with communications too, and all satellites, yeah. all communications that are based on. Um, these magnetic fields, all of our communications would go down. That that we know. Oh, yeah. We would have, uh, we'd be in trouble with <laughs> satellites and cell phones. But even just basic, you know, some of these strong solar tsunamis and solar flares also can knock out a satellite and interfere with some of our communications, albeit briefly. But that happens. That goes on. Um, something, too, that, that we forget, and I know you know about this, I know briefly about this, we don't just get these, you know, the solar flares, these magnetic flares from the sun. We also, the constellations produce uh, magnetic interference and radio waves and gamma rays as well. And we know this back when we had switchboards, and this is how it was first discovered, we would have these interference with the switchboards, and they found out that this was based on these constellations actually produce their own uh, magnetic uh, energy direct at the Earth that can interfere with our equipment, also known as radio astronomy. Yeah. So we, yeah. we see, you know, it's not just the sun. We get all these di X-rays, gamma rays. We are surrounded by magnetic um, energy. And I think this kind of goes back to, I was going to ask you about this, Debbie, when you were saying you're, you're mm -hmm. looking at people and you're seeing that, you know, their minerals are down and the energy mm -hmm. is, looks strange, and, and I don't have this ability, so I'm not 100% sure what, what you mean, but I think I have an idea. But something that popped up in my mind when you guys were discussing this was we are surrounded by magnetic energy. Our, our cell phones emit 
magnetic energy. And now with Wi-Fi and wireless that's throughout, like Vegas, we have wireless supposedly all over this city. So now you have these this extra you know, energy floating around, and we are just surrounded and bombarded by so much of this technological energy that it's it's no wonder that it's draining, you know, mm-hmm. even just outside of the solar flares, just based on our technology and our advancements today, that's, we are bombarded with this magnetic energy that is, I think, disruptive. I live, and I know I've talked to you both about this briefly, I live mm-hmm. next to Black Mountain, which is apparently an old volcano, the only one in southern Nevada that I'm aware of. There's not a lot of details and data out there available. And I'll tell you, Nobody's cell phones work in my house. It's just, it's a nightmare in this house trying to get um, any type of, of good cell service. And also, I mean, I, I, I tell you, I, since I've lived here for two years, I am just, my energy just fluctuates like crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a one, you know, I wonder if it's just this combination of all these things in addition to maybe, you know, living so close to Blackrock. I go out there and walk the mountain with my dogs off and on as well. So I'm wondering if that, too, has some something to do with, with uh, how we're feeling these days in addition to all this extra added stuff. <laughs> and this concludes this show. Be sure to tune in next week for the final installment of this roundtable discussion on Earth Changes in 2012. This is Marcus Leader, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope, 105 FM on the Jackalope Media Network.